This is The Playbook. We're ready to take some questions. I'm looking for our first question. and I'm- My question would be, I've dedicated my life to creating hope and possibility for the people who need it most. In whatever form that looks like, if it means giving a protein bar to a homeless person on the street, if it means finding a way to get registration fees covered for a kid, whatever it is, right? Like, let's find a way. We're all capable. Um, My question for you is that at some point, this sort sort of dawns on you that you have a choice of where to put your money. The choice of conscious capitalism sort of emerges and you say, I get to choose where I go out to eat. I get to choose where I send my kids to school. When in your life, David, did you decide to be a conscious consumer? What a great, you know, uh, question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, I don't think there was one moment. I, I will tell you, you know, growing up with my mom, who, you know, set my mindset to the more I give, the more I receive. Uh, that I started my giving as a transaction, which is still good. Um, And yet there was a limitation to the more I give, the more I receive, because you have to actually somehow receive. And if you don't ask, you kind of empty your vessel. And so I think the biggest shift in my compassionate capitalism or conscious capitalism was that, hey, stop feeling guilty and, and ashamed and bad for asking and receiving. Your intention, the way that I grew up, my life's mission is to help others like yours, whether it's giving a protein bar on the street or you know, doing free training for 22 years or whatever I can do, but you can't do that unless you have more and more and live in a world of more than more and teach people more and more and teach people to receive. So I think the major shift in my paradigm of giving was actually my relationship with receiving and asking. Um, for myself to give to others. And the way that I describe it is I've always appreciated what I had. So everything I had had added value. But even though I added value to everything I had, I lived in a zero sum game, not a value add world, meaning I was, you know, feeling guilty because of all that I had. And I've always appreciated it. And I knew as I evolved that as I gave away, I acquired the knowledge of what I had. One of the transitions that I've t- taken is that it's not just giving stuff away, it's when it's stolen from me, when it's manipulated from me, when I lose it. Guess what? I get the same results as if I gave it away, right? I, I started saying when people stole things from me, oh, they needed it more than me. Now I've acquired the knowledge of what I had. Or if I've lost it, oh, the universe has a better thing for me to have. I had to make room for it. I started to incorporate it into holidays with my kids. Every time they got something, I then had them give a toy. You know, they received one toy, they would give one toy away. And the idea of you can't give what you don't have, believe it or not, was the major paradigm shift of giving to me of when I became a compassionate capitalism, when I got rid of all the shame, blame, and justification and guilt and resentment in receiving. And I cleared and still do stop when I say, oh, I shouldn't ask him. Now now I get upset with myself when I walk away from someone and say, I should have asked, right? Even if it's just their cell phone number, I can't believe I felt bad asking how I could help them or they could help me. It's ridiculous. So I want to encourage everyone to be more like Roy and Kayla and make sure that they get good at asking 
so that they can give more because we need more open-minded, open-hearted and open-handed people like both of you that just want to receive so they can distribute it to everyone else because we may be better askers and better receivers uh, and so that the whole world is in a value add state, not a zero sum game. Let's rapid fire here on Clubhouse. Let's start with uh, Hussey Milady, Lori Burns. Lori, if you can please unmute yourself and ask Dave your question. Welcome. As you always talk about, right, like practicing and articulation, right? So that's what I'm doing. I am practicing to articulate. So and storytelling. So my question to you is what are your like key like, like go to's for you know, when you're learning how to articulate and get to the point and in, in storytelling. Yeah. So those are two separate things, both falling under the context of articulating, uh, articulating quantitative value, articulating lessons in the effect of the story that you're telling. So what we want to do, number one, is practice. So anything that we want to do, we want to practice. So we have to practice articulating quantitative value to exceed what we're asking for. We have to practice teaching lessons by telling stories. And so for me, if we're in our objective, if we feel as if we don't get to the point fast enough, what we wanna do is go ahead and aggregate and reposit the points. So I have a repository, uh, which is a place, uh, you know, a, an actual place that I put all of the points and I call those lessons. And so, by utilizing the lessons, I then tie a note, a short note of a story that best exemplifies that lesson. And then I practice telling the story. I tell the story again and again and again, and I have different nuances applicable to different situations in order to what? Get to the point, the lesson. Uh, and so I am a lesson-driven person. Now, now, the same thing holds true in articulated quantitative value in order to succeed what I'm asking for. So how do I do that? One, credibility. So I know that my statistical success is greater if people believe what I'm saying. So I go through everything that I say with a fine tooth comb to make sure that unintentionally, or even sometimes intentionally, I may be overselling, back end selling, exaggerating, or even lying or even manipulating. Because the minute I get caught or perceived as overselling, back-end selling, lying, manipulating, or cheating someone, I now have completely blocked my chance of articulating quantitative value or articulating a lesson. And then if I go to credibility, I think about the emotional connection or attachment as a secondary thing in order to effectuate articulating. And then the quantification of what I'm saying, either lessons or money or some other quantitative time, space, speed, that allows me to go ahead and create a quantitative, constructive aspect of what I'm trying to say. So what I want you to do is to start with the end in mind, the lesson or the value or the time space, whatever it is that you're trying to articulate and work your way backwards by practicing how best can I articulate it? Is it through a story or is it through an equation or is it through you know some sort of description uh, or reading, whatever it may be, we want to work our way backwards and ask how efficiently can I get to the point with credibility, emotional attachment, and have a quantitative component that will go ahead and allow people uh, to learn what I'm doing and get that alignment so that we can make adjustments. So practice that and you'll be able and capable to get to the point. Does that sound fair? It absolutely does. And so this is my takeaway. 
and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, well, we're all we're all wrong and right at the same time. 50, but, 50% but lean language, lean lean language, and me being aligned with myself, and then reverse engineer. Those are the three takeaways I took away. Yeah, I, love, I so. love the way you state that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, thank practice. you. Thank yes. you. Okay. Thank you so very much. I love you. Okay. Love you too. Thank you. Let me take a quick question online and then let's bring up someone else to ask a question. Um, what would your advice, advice be for a teen who wants to be a college athlete? Um, so, you know, look, <laughs> to, you know, number one, understand the different colleges, uh, but it's the skills and knowledge and the desire that determines whether you can play a sport in college. Um, but there's so many options, opportunities to play sports in college. It's not just playing running back at you know the biggest university in the world. There's so many different sports and so many different divisions and so many different schools that if you have the desire uh, as a teen to play in college, I would say focus in on the three things that you need to get to college to number one, the skills, the knowledge and the desire. That's all you gotta do. If you do your best learn lessons and have fun aligned with the skills, knowledge and desire for the sport that you would like to play and the level of college that is available, there's somewhere for everyone, for every athlete. So I wanna make sure that I'm opening the minds of athletes and teens to do their best learn lessons and have fun about the skills, knowledge and desire according and aligned with supplementary and synergistic to the actual sport that they wanna play at the level that they wanna play for. Let's take the last guest on Clubhouse. Our last guest will be Raluca. Raluca, welcome to the Clubhouse. What question do you have today for David? Um, I heard you in the past talk about our personal terms that uh, when it comes to our genetic and energetic inheritance. Can you please elaborate on that? Thank you. So we were we started where we're finishing because we talked about an internal thermostat. You know, I, my belief in life is that our purpose of this journey is to clear out the interference or to kill off the limitations that we have. In fact, our life is about killing off the limitations and to identify the types of limitations that we have, the most obsequious limitations that we have are the energetic and genetic inheritances. Genetic inheritances are easier to see because we have, you know, actual, uh, medical data that say, you know, we have DNA that is passed down from four generations that we can identify. So there's certain things that are genetic habits. Uh, you know, if uh, you have certain dis-ease in your family, that dis-ease can be genetically inherited. But most people ignore the most powerful disease, that thermostat disease that we talked about. And that disease is the energetic inheritance that we actually inherit uh, energy that is dictated in our DNA, right? That creates a beacon so that not only genetically do we end up if our parents have an addiction, so do we, but energetically we may have a relationship with money that has been passed down that we don't think we're worthy of a certain occupation or a certain level of income or a certain abundance in our life. That's an energetic inheritance. And it stems not just from the day that we were born or before that we were born, but it's actually inherent in our quantum memory. 
an energetic, not just genetic inheritance, an energetic inheritance that has been passed down that exists within our quantum being. Now, we don't even know why it exists because it's an unconscious competency. So how do we identify? We've talked about identifying the genetic inheritance. How do we identify the energetic inheritance? Well, I believe pragmatically there's three ways. One, look for the clues of these limitations, ones that make no sense to us. Why do I feel bad about receiving? Why do I feel like I'll never make that much money? Why am I limiting my, why do I always end up in the same place? These are clues. And then when you start seeing the clues of certain patterns, the second step, let's start making different choices than the previous people our previous relatives, the people most relative to us. And when I say relatives, obviously the most relative people are people that have the same DNA as we have because the DNA determines the genetic and energetic inheritance, but the relativity of others that we surround ourselves with, the relativity of the ideas that we surround ourselves with are also an energetic inheritance. And so if we can identify the clues, patterns of the genetic and in energetic inheritance, we then can kill off the limitations that they've created for us. And instead of living in a world of just enough, we can live in a world of more than enough, an abundant world that's not regulated or limited by genetic or energetic inheritance.